words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Here we go. Sorry about that. Anyway, it's good to see you all here this morning. Um, It's good to... uh, celebrate. I was, I, as I said, I was uh, missing the church. It's nice to have a break. It's nice to get some rest. Um, but uh, the, the joy of the Lord through his people is something that we surely um, enjoy. And when we don't have it, we miss it. So our house church had a little brunch um, on, what would that have been, New Year's Eve, I think, and we enjoyed getting together. But anyway, uh, you know, sometimes the sharing for the serving a movement uh, is the great sermon. And I just feel like getting up here sometimes and, and praying and then just doing a Q&A about what they shared. So, but it's really the, the their story is just a, a wonderful example of what the prophets are really trying to do. The prophets, they are some hard reading. They are some very hard reading. They're long. They're really long. Uh, if you're familiar with... Uh, with the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, the middle book, I think it's called The Two Towers. And during the, the book, and if you're watching the movie, there's just this long uh, section and period of time where they are literally just like running through the desert. They've got they've to they've rescue some people. They, it, they have a limited amount of time, and they're just running through the desert, and it's hot, and they're complaining, and there's all kinds of dangers. And it's intended, I believe, uh, in the book and in the movie to kind of give you a sense as a reader, as a watcher, that this was a dry, hot, hard time. And when you're reading through the prophets, you're reading through them, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is hot, this is dry, this is hard, and you feel like just putting it down. Uh, oftentimes. Um, and as we were praying and talking and thinking about what to do for the next series, we really felt like we hadn't done very much work in the prophets. And um, I would say that one of my weaknesses as a minister, uh, as a person, is the inability to uh, deal with um, weakness very well. And one of the uh, one of the, the challenges to my preaching that Lawrence faithfully gives me is that um, 
my sermons tend to work well and be received well by the go-getter type of people. But oftentimes, uh, people that are struggling or are in a place of desperation find it sometimes hard to receive. And I, I see the truth in that. And so I'll, I, I want to show you just a little bit by reading Amos chapter 1, verse 1, to show you what the prophets are all about and why we need to read them and study them and preach and teach them and, and why we need to get past the hardness of them. The hardness is there for a good reason. And um, it is to contrast the hope that they're communicating. So let's just look at verse 1 here of chapter 1. The words of Amos who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now, it's a, it's a you know, you typically read through it and you kind of go on to the next verse. Um, but if you take a, a moment and just look at what has been written, it's a very interesting introduction. And the interesting part of it is the last phrase, two years before the earthquake. So Amos was an early prophet in Israel, maybe the first of the prophets that got put down in writing. Okay, but it's not like Amos sat down to write a book and then kind of delivered it in mass to the nation of Israel and to Judah. Okay, so one of the things you got to pick up on in the prophets is that because of the political uh, challenges after Solomon. Okay, so there was Saul, David, Solomon, Solomon being David's son. Uh, Solomon was not faithful to God, and as a consequence of his unfaithfulness, God said that, that he would divide the nation. So after Solomon, the nation of Israel existed in two many nations, Israel and Judah. Okay, and so Amos didn't just sit down and write these things. Amos prophesied, and he spoke to the rulers of both Judah and Israel, primarily Israel. All right, and so his, his words got recorded, but they were collected and assembled into the book that we call Amos sometime later, right? And there's all kinds of speculation about exactly when. But I think the key thing is to see that this is post-earthquake. Now, we're not going to read all of the text today, but the texts demonstrate that, that Amos was prophesying and warning Israel and Judah about the judgment and discipline of God, and it seems like it, that the judgment and discipline of God that he's warning them about could easily be an earthquake. Okay, this is two years before the earthquake, so two years later, there's an earthquake, and disaster struck Israel. And then at some point later, the book of Amos gets put together. Amos's prophetic words that he spoke to the rulers were assembled, put into the book of the prophets. And then at some point, it became the law, the prophets, and the writings in terms of the Jewish Bible that, that Jesus read. So here is a book written after the disaster. So many times we read the prophets as if the actual historical events um, were going on at the time of the writing and that the people reading this book were going through it. It's not the case. 
Now, the people that were reading this book might have been the people going through the disaster. But the book itself is not written to warn us of this disaster. It wasn't written to warn them of this exact disaster. And certainly us, as we read it, it's not written for us to be uh, wary of an upcoming earthquake. So we have to take a step back and, and ask ourselves, why is this being assembled into a book and given to the nation of Israel long after the disaster has already occurred? There's no hope that they're going to escape the disaster that Amos was warning about. So this is written to a people post-disaster. Post-disaster. This is written to a people who are living in the midst of consequences of disaster, an earthquake that killed millions, well, it killed a lot of people, destroyed families, destroyed businesses, destroyed the nation. And on top of that, other nations would come in and, and lay siege against them and destroy them with a sword. And so this is a, a post-disaster book written to those who are living in the midst of the consequences of disaster. Sometimes the disasters that we are in are not our fault. Sometimes the disasters that we're in are certainly our fault. And I think that the book is written um, for us to read from the perspective of both. You, O Israel, are at fault in the disasters that have come upon you. Your, your generations before, your ancestors caused this. But you too, Israel, are responsible, this current generation so it's life in the midst of the, uh, it, it's a book written for us to understand what it means to live life while we're suffering the consequences of disaster. And there is very little in the immediate future that we can look forward to. There's, there's nothing in the book about what God is promising to do in their immediate future, if they would repent. Historically, in the two-year time frame between the time that Amos was prophesying and before the earthquake and the judgment of God came, they had a season of time. They had a season of time that they did not take advantage of. But they, had, they, they could have. And there are some things that Amos told them that are applicable to us as as we face our times of living in the consequences of disaster. Again, disaster that's a consequence of our own sin, disaster that's a consequence of, of others. We see this in our, in our lives as individuals. And I think, again, both Gil and, and Andrea's stories this morning just reflect um, disasters that are experienced on an individual level. And I think really what these prophets do is they, they really highlight the fact that we can get to a point as individuals where um, it doesn't seem like anything good is going to happen because of the seriousness of the sins. I mean, I, I, Andrew, the way you said it, you know, I, I'm just going to live my life as a single mom with no hope of getting married, no hope of, of, of not being lonely, and then maybe when the kids are out of the house, I can enjoy a husband. Okay, that's a long time. That's a long time. 
You're courageous, though, to have set your mind to that, to do the good things of, of being a mom and a member of the church community. But um, sometimes it seems like that is what we're looking at. A decade, two decades, maybe for the rest of our lives, being in this place of suffering the consequences of our sin or the sins of others with no hope for any sort of prosperity in our experience. We can look forward to the coming kingdom of God, all right? But the decades we have until then (laughs) seem utterly bleak, seem utterly bleak. So I want to look today, and, 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 and I, 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 the prophets, I, definitely, all of the Bibles are written for us as, as individuals, they're written for us as families, they're written for us as, written for us as churches, um, but I, I think too, and I really got the latest Time Magazine yesterday, and it's a, the whole, the whole, the whole Time Magazine is on optimism, and, and Bill Gates led a, a series of, of people to write some articles about, hey, here are some good things that are going on in the world that, that efforts to do justice and help people are having a positive effect in. Because uh, obviously, if, if you are paying any sort of attention right now at all, uh, the condition of the world doesn't seem real great doesn't seem, regardless of your political perspective, things are not going well. Things are not going well. There's a, uh, I don't know who put it onto, I think, I think maybe Ryan and Meredith put, put me onto this, but there's, a, there's a, uh, a TV series on Netflix called Black Mirror. Have any of you seen it? Black Mirror? Oh my goodness, if you want to like a, just a, a, a deep dive into some really depressing television... <laughs> Man, it is, it, 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 is, it, is, it is amazing, and you can just sit back and kind of think and talk about it probably for hours if you wanted to, but the, the producers of this show have like, identified a, you know, 10 or 12 uh, things going on in our world that are destroying us, okay? Uh, sexuality, technology, politics, uh, and it is, man, it just goes deep into the worst, uh, and there's no hope. There's no hope. In fact, after I've watched two episodes. After both episodes, I'm like, I can't, I, I'm not offended in my conscience about what I just watched, but I'm not sure that I want to digest something that dark and hopeless, Simply because uh, if you just take a step back and you don't have hope in Christ and that this world uh, is not what it appears to be all the time, uh, it seems like there's nothing, that we're not going to get out of this mess that we're in. Because we just seem to be running further and further into, into darkness and destruction. So what I want to look at today, and we're just going to do like a 30,000 foot view over the book of Amos. I want to look at why did Israel suffer the earthquake? Because the same reasons that Israel suffered are the same reasons we suffer. Uh, Whether it's individuals, families, church, cities, nations, the world, we suffer because of what Israel um, and us do. I want to look at the hope. What is the hope given to Israel? And I also want to 
look at what God instructed Israel to do while they lived in the midst of the consequences of disaster. If they're going to press forward, and it doesn't look like there's prosperity at all in the near future, uh, what is it that we're going to do? Even we, we may not be prosperous. We may not have the good life, but there's some things that we can go about doing until, until God makes it better. So those are, one of the, those are the three things that I want to look at. So the first one, why did Israel suffer the earthquake? It is important to know and, and to have this deeply buried within you that all of your actions, all of your, the things that you do as a person, they're, they're, they're generally motivated by your emotions and your feelings and desires, all right? We, we don't, in, in all of the decisions we make, we don't sit down and think logically about things, all right? That's generally not how we work. It's a good way to go about things, but it, usually we decide and act on the basis of what we're feeling or what we are desiring. Those feelings are de- and desires are driven by what we believe, by what we believe. So the first thing that God says, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, and I'll talk more in a future ser- sermon about this three and four thing, but he says this, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. Our actions and their rejection of the law of God and the following of their, of these, of, were, were, was based upon the following of these lies. And the lies are other visions of what life is. There are other visions. The Apostle John says that we, that we uh, are driven by the lust of the flesh, the so desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, what we, what we feel our body needs, what we feel our, what we desire with our eyes, what we see and what we want, and by the boastful pride of life, by us being able to say that we've accomplished and done and, and been something. And so we have these feelings and desires that drive us. I was talking with somebody this week um, and if he, he, we were just kind of talking through some things and, excuse me, I'm on like week seven of a sinus infection. Anyhow, I got to get some stronger antibiotics, I think. Anytime he felt offended or he feels offended, he believes that the other person that offends him is intentionally attacking him. And because he believes that, he goes into a defensive, fighting, argumentative attack posture. It may be the smallest of things. It's completely unintentional. But because he believes that he's being attacked, he responds by attacking. You can't just stop your responses to things. You have to go book and, and you have to go back and, and you have to get some help, and this is the purpose of, one of the purposes of the redemption group, is that it helps you come back to a place where you are trying to figure out what you are believing that is causing the action. So they believed that something else besides God and following God would give them life. And it moved them from God's instruction. The word law literally just means instruction or guide. It isn't always just rules and statutes, although that's mentioned as well. 
And so what were those other visions of life? And there are four things listed. Number one, material possessions will bring me life. Right? This, is, this is the same story. This, these are the exact, the, the four that are up here, you can see in this Black Mirror series. He says this, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Clothes and money. And as you look at these four false visions of life, so this one is greed, but you'll see in all of them that somebody is oppressed and hurt. Somebody is oppressed and hurt. Second one, disregard for the poor and the afflicted. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. They don't care about the poor. They don't care about the needy. They don't care about the afflicted. We have an obligation to help those in the world who are needy, poor, and afflicted. We have a responsibility. And God says, we'll see here this in another moment, but in, another part, in other parts of the text, and we're going to look at this in detail. We're going to look at each one of these in detail in, in an individual sermon. But the law requires the people of God to help these folks, to help these folks. And, and he says, if you insult the poor, you insult their maker. God identifies. God identifies with the poor and the needy and the afflicted. And to not help and to not assist is, to, is, to, is a failure to see that who you are and what you have and your prosperity is all something that God has given to you. He has given you your mind. He has given you your abilities. He has put you into a place and into a situation in terms of time and history and, and place where you have the ability to use what God has given you to become prosperous. And a failure, a failure to help the poor and the needy is a failure to recognize the grace of God in your life. The third thing, sexual immorality. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. So here we see that to, to, to engage in this kind of behavior is to offend the very person of God himself, his sense of identity. Now, again, look, I, I doubt that this girl, whoever it is, I doubt that this is a pleasing circumstance to her. And certainly we've seen plenty of this this year where we see uh, a lot of oppressing of women sexually. Fourth, Luxurious and oppressive religion. This is a really curious one. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. So there was a, a prohibition against keeping somebody's garment overnight. You were to return somebody, if you borrowed somebody's garment their cloak, their blanket. You needed to give it back to them because they might need it overnight. A very simple law, but one of the laws. Uh, so these people have taken other people's clothes, they don't return them, and they use it in their sacrificial time. And then they, then they I don't know all the background to this, but Evidently, there was some sort of system where people were fining others wine 
<laughs> like you get imposed a fine. We'd get to pay a parking ticket. We'd pay with money. They, they would get imposed a fine, and they had to pay with wine. So they would, they would celebrate their feasts to their false gods with the wine that they received as fines. And they would be laying down on the blankets that were other people's. So they had this luxurious religious life that was to false gods. Um, and its luxury was built upon other people's things. So these are the four, these are the four visions of life that Israel had that distracted them, that give them a, a deceptive picture, uh, and that caused them to reject the vision of life that God had. So those are the things that they were judged for and that they were warned about and that they could repent from. And again, we're going to look at each of those four things in detail. So they didn't repent. The earthquake comes. And we're going to read the descriptions of the earthquakes. We're going to, one of the sermons is on why we need the judgment and discipline of God. So God brings down the hammer, and there is an earthquake, and nobody escapes. And nobody escapes. And so what hope was then given to Israel? What hope? And Alyssa read this. Beautiful passage. In that day, I will raise up the booth or the tent of David or the house of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. This is in the last passage. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. So it's eight and a half chapters of disaster. Eight and a half chapters of judgment. Eight and a half chapters of indictments against Israel, describing all of these horrible things and what God is going to do to Israel, to Judah, and to all of the nations. But it ends on this note. It ends on this note. The message of the Bible, beginning in the book of Genesis, the very beginning, all right, Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the, the forbidden tree, the fruit of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they eat fruit from that. They feel shame, they feel guilt, they, fear, they f- feel fear, they are in conflict with each other, they are running away from God, and death and destruction just follows. And there's this little promise, someday, woman will give birth to a child who will destroy that serpent and bring life back. Bring life back. And, and just a few chapters later, Noah's dad, Noah's dad is named Lamech. And it's here where you begin to really see the hopes of the people. God names, or excuse me, Lamech names his son Noah. Noah means relief from toil. And Lamech has said, he says this, he says, perhaps this is the child who will deliver us from this toilsome life of work. And so immediately in the book of Genesis, you see that there is a hope being generated to this promised future child. And then when you get to the, the book of 2 Samuel, God gives a promise to King David, from you, 
will this child come. I will establish his kingdom forever. He will sit on the throne of not only Israel, but all of the nations, and he will rule with peace forever, bringing righteousness and truth to all of creation. And so the book of Amos, in the midst of all this judgment and in the midst of all this despair, you have this future hope given. Hey, someday the king's going to return. Someday there will be prosperity. And I want to point out, there's a lot of language here about prosperity, about enjoying material possessions. And so we're going to take one of the sermons and spend it on the, the idea of prosperity out of the law, out of the prophets, out of the writings, and that it is God's desire to prosper his people. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm talking about a prosperity that God promises um, when we follow him. I'm not talking about being rich. I'm talking about prospering materially. So we're going to look at what that means and that much of what the people of God had to look forward to was material prosperity. Okay, we're going to be able to live and work and eat the fruit of our labors, drink the wine from the grapes that we are harvesting from the vines that we planted. So there is some production and enjoyment, and that is a large part of the motivation that they had their hope in. Not just that there was a king that was going to come and it was this nice kind of you know, fairy tale religion in terms of a king who's going to take care of everything. It was, hey, there's a king that's going to come and your cities are going to be rebuilt. You're going to be safe. You're going to be secure. And you're going to be able to enjoy the fruits of your labors. You're going to have prosperity. So there's a place for prosperity in the kingdom of God. And it's the use of the prosperity that we've got to really take a look at. So we're going to look at prosperity and justice and the law and the prophets. But there's no promise, excuse me, there's no promise in the book of Amos that their life is going to change now. No promise. It really reflected some of Andrea's thoughts. I don't know if I can have any hope for my life now. And thankfully, we live in a time, we live in a time where that king has come. Mark chapter 1. And Jesus began to proclaim, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. And we know that with the kingdom of God is the blessing and impartation of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And so we can't, we can't stop at the hopelessness of not experiencing the kingdom of God now. Because the king has come. The king has come. And he is at work to slowly grow and build the kingdom of God in, in your life and in your family, in this church, in this city, in this state, in this nation, and in the world. And that is the trajectory of all things. That is the trajectory of all things. So, yes, we can put our hope in the future coming of Jesus and the establishing of his order here on earth. And so, you know what? My life really stinks. I'm living in the midst of a disaster caused by my own sin and the sins of others, and it's all a big mess. And I, have, I, I don't see how I'm ever going to be happy until Jesus comes back and I die and I go to heaven. 
Right? No, 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 no. If that is, you can't stop there. That's where you'd stop if you were in Israel. Here we have to say, the kingdom of God is here. I possess the Holy Spirit. The gospel is true. And I can experience the prosperity of God living in me to some degree more than I'm experiencing it now because he's going to do something, just like Gil said. He's going to do something that is beyond our imaginations and beyond our hopes. That is the promise of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 3. He is capable of doing things beyond our imaginations. Hebrews says this, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. See, the judgments talked about here in the prophets were disciplines and punishments. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, fruit, those to those who have been trained by it. God is going to do something good in your life because the kingdom of God is here. The Spirit of God is available to those who believe in the gospel, and He wants to build the kingdom in your life, even if everything has been destroyed. I preached at uh, Metro Hope uh, the Thursday before Christmas, Thursday night. Seth asked me to come in. I hadn't preached there before. And it's uh, all the guys are required to attend. So I'm there, and, and they start to file in. And it, it, one of the first things that I noticed was how old a lot of the guys were. And, and I, this may not be a, an appropriate thing to share, but I'm, just, I'm telling you where my feelings were at. And at first I was really sad because these, these men are here, and, they're, and they're, more of their life has already passed than what they're looking forward to in the future. And I just was, I just was broken um, because of all of those wasted years. All of those years just of pain and, and suffering and consequence, feeling the consequences of their own sin and the sins of others. But then I was really encouraged. Then I was really encouraged because, because of the courage of those men to be there. And to say, you know what, yeah, we're, we're on the latter decade or two of our lives, but we are not going to give up. There is hope in Jesus Christ. There is hope in his kingdom. He's going to do something, and I still can experience the kingdom of God in our lives. And that was really encouraging. It was, really, it was a huge blessing and, and ministry to me being there. I enjoyed it. And I really appreciated the courage of everybody in that room to continue to press forward, to seek help, and to, and to pursue the kingdom of God. So what is it, what is it that we're supposed to do? What is it we're, that we're supposed to do? And so there are a few things, and we'll look at some of these in more detail. We're called to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. We don't, we don't worship an idea. We worship God, the God who created all things and is far bigger than any of the disasters that we experience in our lives. And we, we have to pursue him in belief of that. 
He who comes to God must believe that he exists, not an idea, not a propositional statement, not a doctrine. God exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. So we're commanded to seek him. Number two, resist evil, do good, establish justice. Seek good and not evil that you may live and so that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gates. We are to be busy in the service of others filled with the kingdom of God that his Holy, in his Holy, because his Holy Spirit is in us. Life, our lives might be a disaster, but the kingdom of God lives in you if you have the gospel. There's hope because of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. And not, he not only wants to bring the kingdom of God alive in you, he wants to bring the kingdom of God alive in the people, other people, through you. There's always something you could do. And we'll spend some time on that. And the last one, sincerely worship God. So here, I hate and despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. One of the things about this generation is that they, they, they were pretty consistent, even in their service of God, the true God, in their religious practices. But they were... They were engaged in all of these other things, too. And he's like, listen, I want you to stop with your insincere fake worship of me. And I want you to get serious about loving others. Worship me with sincerity, which is going to become loving other people. See, belief in this future king generates the desire and energy to live this way. To see the, the beauty and the power of the kingdom of God unfold in our own lives and in the lives of people. It's that, it's that seeking after that. So that's the series. That's what we're looking at. We're going to look at, at King Jesus and the prosperity and joy he brings. We're going to look at prosperity and justice in the law of the prophets. We're going to look at what false visions of life we have in front of us that distract us from serving Christ. We're going to look at the importance of judgment and discipline, and we're going to look at it, Amos as an example of how to live in a world where things and disasters are all around us. Big ideas, 30,000 foot, but the, the, the key thing is this. If you are living in the midst of disaster and hopelessness, there is hope. And it is the energy and the power that you, that you, that you need Hopelessness is another vision of life that will take you away from God and lead into further sin. And in the midst of that hopelessness, you'll, you'll self-medicate to make yourself feel better, to give yourself a sense of hope. Do not let hopelessness become your vision for life. God will do something because the kingdom of God is here and he is alive and he is listening, and he is anxious and running after you to build the kingdom to pursue him. Let me pray. God, thank you for just really the, 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 the stark messages in the prophets and for the clarity of the hope that is communicated. I pray, God, that throughout the series and in our church that you would take all of us, regardless of where we're at, in places of desperation and hopelessness or apathy and, and move us to an increased and concrete hope 
in, in, the, in Jesus and in the kingdom that is here. In your son's name, amen.